chapter 26. Verse number 26 through 30. Matthew 26. 26 through 30. Amen. And it reads, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. We're going to talk about communion today with a title very familiar portion of scripture, do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for being here with us today, unperfect people, only by your grace and mercy that we can stand in front of you today. Thank you, God, for what you've done in our lives, what you did at Calvary, and today we come to remember that. I want to say thank you. Many things in life that we can say thank you for, for a house over our head, clothes on our back, shoes on our feet, food in our belly, job, health. We want to say thank you more than anything, God, for what you did at Calvary for us. It is because we understand that we are just sinners saved by grace that we come to you today and say thank you. We ask you, Lord, to be with us in this service today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know we have worshiped and prayed and thank God and clapped hands and done all that. Why don't we do that one more time before we're seated for what God has done. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. How hard would it be to know that the last hours of your life were numbered. You knew the time, the day, when your life would come to an end. It seemed like Jesus, the closer that he got to his end, the closer that it got to his time, the more passionate that he became and making sure that everything that needed to be done and tied up and every little job that needed to be finished was done. He became almost in a panic, anxious, last little bit of his life in touching those that needed him and serving those that needed served. It was on a Wednesday of the Passion Week and it seemed that Jesus would spend that day in seclusion somewhere in the neighborhood of Bethany, but we now, in the order of things, come to the place in his life where an overwhelming storm was about to break out. It was about to break out in a fury. It's now Thursday evening in a small upper room. An event would take place that would become a very important event for the church throughout the ages. 
The Lord is eating and drinking with the men that he had shaped for the last three and a half years and were probably as close to family as could be. They had seen the highs and the lows with him. They had loved him deeply and he loved them as well. However, the storm did not care about relationships that was coming. That storm would turn all of their lives upside down. It would be filled with fear, fatigue, worry, anger, loss, and deep pain. The events of that night can be understood when we compare the accounts of Matthew with that with the accounts of John. Both of the writers would write, and you could put it together, it was washing the disciples' feet and identifying Judas as the betrayer. Judas would leave the Passover meal. The institution of the Lord's Supper became the messages in the upper room. On the way to Gethsemane, the great prayer of the Lord, his anguish in Gethsemane, the betrayal and the arrest. But all the events would sum up for them by the writer of Luke. When he wrote in Luke 22 and 19, and Jesus spoke these indelible words that would always stay in the mind of every believer. When he would say this, this do in remembrance of me. One man said it like this. He said, fix, he said the, the words could have been interpreted and wrote like this. Fix your eyes on Calvary and watch what happens there. That is the great event in early history. Other men have monuments because they've lived lives that deemed uh, memorable. But he was going to do something that would be a monument in his death. The memory of other men is cherished by their birthdays, but in God's case, better is the day of my death than the day of my birth. Birth in the world was monumentous, but still more was his death. Of his birth, no festive commemoration is needed, but of my death, keep alive the memory until I come again. Remembering, if you will, all, for all of it is secret, the consummation and the crown. His death was one of a sacrificial. Just as the lame was slain at the, slain at the first Passover in Egypt and provided salvation for the firstborn with the blood being put over the doorpost and the mantle, each and every Israelite. The death of the Lord leads to the hope of salvation for everyone who will believe and follow and be converted. The blood of the Lord delivers man from a much deeper slavery than ever was considered in that of Egypt. Sin brought such heavy slavery that there's no hope whatsoever outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. None of us had anything within us that was worthy that could be sold to buy our freedom from sin, but God, the blood that was shed. Behold the Lamb of God, this Lamb which taketh away the sin of the world. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, this Lamb. He made Him to be the sin for us who knew no sin. And he says, this do in remembrance of me. There is such a mixture of grace and mixture of power 
in with this last supper that we see. The Lord knew exactly what was in front of him and instead he chose to spend the somber quiet moments of that last evening to give to the church a wondrous parting gift. A gift that would make it all the more valuable to those disciples after God had left them there. When they were all alone, running for their lives, curious of what the next moment might be, this they remembered would sustain them while they were walking out to bring this message to city to city. It supported them when they endured persecution. It added to their authority as they told others about the work of Jesus. It helped them to believe when they were confronted by demons. It helped them to rest in the Lord when they were weary. The value of that single night of remembrance adds to what we'll be doing here in just a little while as we partake in this sacred It needs to remind us, and we need to remember, that when we face the hardest issues of life, we need to be reminded when we face obstacles that seem like we can't get over, around, or under, it is the blood. We need to be reminded for what we do today. When the report from the doctor tells us something we don't want to hear, it is the blood. We need to be reminded when we're confronted by things in this world that seem are going to overtake us. We need to be reminded once again of what God has done. Now Judas leaves the room after the devil had entered him. You heard me right. Luke 22 tells us the devil had entered him. He has a meeting with the religious men of the day. Let me just stop here and say, well, I go to church. Judas was in the presence of God Almighty. If your heart ain't right, your mind ain't right, Satan can enter into it. Don't preach about that. It needs to be told to us that we are fragile when we don't pray and fast. We're fragile when we don't keep our mind on Jesus. Fragile when our eyes wander here and there and they don't stay on the importance of the Master. Judas received 30 pieces of dirty money that would seal the doom for his soul. His interactions with these men proved to us again and again the danger of religion that has no relationship with God in it. Well, I wish it wasn't communion service that I could preach on that a little bit. There's a danger of looking the part and acting the part but having no relationship with the person called Jesus. <laughs> After Judas leaves, the Lord takes two elements from the Passover feast. He takes the unleavened bread and the cup, and he uses them as an analogy and pictures in his own death. 
through the ages, we have been calling them, people call them sacraments. A sacrament is something that's simply ordinary, but it has acquired a meaning far beyond itself for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Some things have a sacrament to humans that have no price tag on them and would seem worthless to others but mean the world to you. The story is told about Admiral Nelson who was buried in St. Paul's Cathedral. A party of his sailors carried his casket to the grave. It was noticeable how these men lowered the body of one of the world's greatest admirals into the grave. But then as, as if they were answering a sharp order from the quarterdeck, they seized the Union Jack flag from the top of the casket and they rent it to pieces. Each of these men that rent that flag took a piece and kept it for the rest of their lives. And when they looked at that remnant, what was a whole flag, that piece of torn flag now spoke to them about how much their admiral loved them. That was a sacrament. But let's talk about these. The bread. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat this. This is my body. Let me explain something to you this morning because some have a problem with their doctrine. That they believe that the bread and the fruit of the vine are literally the body and the blood of the Lord. It's not true. The Lord's body could be sitting at a table and at the same time be eaten by the disciples and this body is obviously not a body that had been made like ours. Don't invite me to your house and put your leg up on the table and say have a bite of my ankle. He was a perfect man. And he was perfectly God at the same time. Others would observe where the Lord would speak of himself as the door of the vine. And we know that he was simply using emblems and figures and analogies to convey a spiritual truth. The same manner of interpretation has to hold true in the context of this as well. The bread we take today is not his body. It is a symbol for us to remember his body. Do this in remembrance of him. That is the whole matter of the act of communion. When we look at the bread and the wine, we are simply reminded of what? The cross. It, the cross was not just a symbol. It was not something to be worn around a neck and hung on a wall. But it was the point where we go back and remember the atonement of our sins. It is meant to help our weak faith to seek a closer fellowship with God. It is meant to help us to walk closer with a crucified Savior. And it should remind us of the price of the gift that we've been given. All of these matters need to be remembered in our days more now than ever before. We human beings forget about the cost of what it makes, of what it takes to make what we need every day. 
we forget about the cost and we forget about how convenient things have been and we've become so rocked to sleep by the comforts of this life. We need to go back and remember the cost of what it took for us to be saved. When we do this today, it should add depth to repentance. It will increase our faith. It will help us battle against besetting sins that they are weakened and it will increase our desire for holiness and relationship with God. This used to be called the bread of affliction because it was to remind Israel of the captivity and the escape from Egypt. But the Lord will now do something entirely different with this bread. He'll turn it from the bread of the affliction to signify something even greater than the redemption of the children of Israel from Egypt. When he says, this is my body. If there's another mixture of power and grace in this action of the Lord, the, the first was that he knew what was facing him and he still had time for their fellowship. The second great evidence of his grace and his character of those men at the table that night. That little band of brothers that received the very first bread and the very first wine were composed of men who were poor, unlearned, and really some of them were not worthy. They loved the Lord but were weak in faith and in knowledge they knew only a little of what the Lord's saying really were about. They had no way of knowing how weak their commitment and resolve was, but the Lord knew it perfectly well. The state of their hearts was never hidden from Him, and yet He did not bar them from communion. We know what Paul said to us. He said, let a man examine himself. There needs to be Every action in the church to keep those who are unworthy, those who are of a habitual sin, those who are rebellious against God's word, and those who reject the Lord, we try to keep them away. But to all of us here, we cannot afford to turn away from the remembrance of our Lord. If the Lord himself extended the bread and the wine to those who were going to forsake him in just a few hours. Saying all of that, I say this, before we do such today and take communion, there will be a time and a space of this service for us to fall upon our face and repent. How can I take such a holy sacrament that cost so much and was so important and yet know that my relationship with him is unpure? I must fall upon my face and ask God to forgive me if I know how much the sacrament costs. The wine. The next thing the Lord did after he broke the bread is he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them. Tradition holds that there were four cups of wine that were used at the Passover. The one the Lord now holds is the third of the four cups. And he tells us that there's a coming a fourth cup that he will not drink of until the fulfillment of the kingdom takes place. And that fourth cup will be the one at the marriage supper of the Lamb. This third cup is commonly understood to be a cup of blessing. 
cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is not the communion of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10. There is something eternally different about this particular action that our Lord takes place in. Normally at the Passover, everyone would have his own individual cup. But on this night, the Lord shared his cup with them. The passing of the cup, the shared cup of God. This shocking departure from the communion practice drew all of the disciples even closer to the great purpose he had for them after this final Passover he would spend. And when they drank from the cup, there was suddenly a common bond that would unite them in a bind to everything the Lord was moving toward in his kingdom. They were bound in their mission, their purpose, the suffering, the fellowship, the prayer, the commitment. It wasn't just another meal or another action for them. But there is even more that the Lord moves them towards. The cup was symbolic of his blood that would be shed for the remission of sins. It was the blood of the New Testament, the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is no longer in existence after the cross. In the Old Testament, what blood was mentioned in this manner was to be shed for the remission of sins. It was also associated with a violent death. It was associated with judgment, associated with vengeance. And now the Lord is entering into the final step of the journey of dying for the sin of mankind. And in Exodus it says there's an action that took place that compares to the cross. It says this, And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it upon the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Moses would splash the blood of the people uh, from, from half the blood of the sacrifices. And the other half had already been splashed on the altar, and the other half had been kept back in a basin. The blood that was used was a binding contract that paired God with his people. And not only did it cover their sins, it aligned them with the holiness of God. There was a solemn commitment between God and the people. If the blood matters, then a relationship with God matters. If a relationship matters, then common interests matter. And for me to take on a relationship with God and interests matter, then holiness also matters. Holiness on the inside that exudes itself that I must be clean to be close with God. People that have constant problems with, with these alignment issues with God are those who are in a battle with the cross contentiously, continually. If you have a relationship with God, it should not be a contentious one. That's in a continual fight about what is right or wrong. If it's a relationship, it should come to an agreement. And if God is going to give so much, then my agreement should not be a problem with him. The blood of Jesus is effective. I look around. I see people from different places, different avenues of life. Some from the suburbs, from, from the city. Some with a silver spoon, some with no spoon. 
some with shoes, some with no shoes, some addicted, some unaddicted, some with good houses, some with bad houses, some with good parents, some with no parents, some that have lived in the alley, some have lived in the back alley, some have lived in the street, some have done this and done that. Let me tell you something. The one thing that I know above anything is that the blood of Jesus is effective. For when we could not save ourselves, the blood was enough to bring us salvation. He reconciled all things unto himself, whether it be the things in earth or the things in heaven. Blotting out all the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. No matter what the court of life may try to pin against us and bring against us. God blotted it all out, nailing it to the cross. Another matter to consider about the power, about the blood. The blood being used in this way takes place in only two other ways. The consecration of priests and the cleansing of lepers. All, all of these point to a couple of things, a cleansing from an earlier defilement, the consecration to a new life of service. That's the power of the blood. Jesus told us that we ought to take communion as a remembrance of what he has done for us. One of the things that I noticed Preparation for today in the reading was that before the supper, you see that everything that would happen would only happen when Jesus, I hate to use the terminology, made it happen. Those disciples hardly made a move. But Lord, what could we do? How could we do this? They were really confused about their place and their situation. We try to. These things only come through prayer and fasting. But after the supper, things began to change. There was some turmoil and some shifting. But the supper brought a, a one-mindedness began to happen. Let's just say it that way. In those men that day. That led them through... Defiling God, you know, I don't know who he is. To the next thing we find them waiting in an upper room. Because it brought a one-mindedness, purpose. Because when they would begin to go through turmoil, they would go back to that night and begin to remember the blood and the bread. When they would find themselves tortured, or they'd find themselves in turmoil, and find themselves not, they would go back to that point and say, let's remember what God did for us. Let's remember. The last two years, this world has been in utter turmoil, chaos, craziness. And it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. The church of the living God. Christians, people who confess God, no matter where you're at, need to go back to the point where we're at today and begin to remember this world is not our home. We're just passing through. When we start to get 
off kilter here and start to get. We need to go back to this point and remember what God did for us. If God could do that, then I can endure to the end when the trumpet sounds and calls me home. Musicians, I want you to come, please. We've come to the table with faith. Faith in the Lord. We come today and partake of this empty of faith, then we will leave empty. We come empty, we will leave empty. But if we come today with faith in our heart toward the one who has crucified himself for us, who has given himself for us, paid a price and a debt that we could not afford to pay, when we have faith in that, then there is a great return that comes back. We must come to the table with the understanding that we are fulfilling one of the commands of the Lord. Commands of scripture when we partake in this holy sacrament. We ought to look at it that manner. That we're fulfilling one of the Lord's great commandments. And there's blessings to those that are obedient to such. Today, you may have come today not knowing what this service was all about. You may feel uncomfortable in doing such. No one looks down upon anybody for not being. Matter of fact, I'll have a little bit more respect if someone says, not ready. Here in a few weeks, we will have a before service uh, or after service, we will have in the office complex a service we will hold in there for those who are unable to be here today. If you feel like then that your life is ready, your heart is ready, then you can partake with us then. We here at the church, we, we don't do uh, juice, we do wine. This is what Bishop has taught us. We find in scripture what his pastor taught him. Say, well, I, I come from a place where I was a former alcoholic. Catch the word, former. If this little bit of alcohol causes you to sin, then you are not a former. You're still. Because if you have been born again, Scripture tells us old things have passed away. But if you don't feel comfortable, but I want to fulfill the commandment of God today for me. Today is a very personal thing. Are you telling me that I have to? I'm not saying you have to. I'm saying it's a personal thing. But if you have a relationship with God, you ought to seek your heart to find out what is right for you, what is wrong for you. But I'm here to tell you, because I get argued this all the time, it'll cause me to stumble. If that causes you to stumble, then you got more issues than that little bit of alcohol content in that. This ought to be something that does not taste good. 
I don't understand folks when they say, well, that tasted good, and they put their finger in the cup. It's not supposed to be good. That bread should not taste good. It should be bitter. There was nothing good about it when the blood was shed and the skin was rent. It should not bring us anything today that's pleasurable in the taste. But it should hit us hard with a memory. It should take us to an altar somewhere where we first encountered a relationship with God. It should take us back to a place where God first met us there. Memories should begin to flood back about how tears began to flow and how thankful that I was of what God did in my life. It should be a time when we cry, a time where we repent, and a time that we refocus our mind and our heart on what is right and what is wrong. So today, we are going to, gentlemen, if you want to go and get ready, we are going to partake in communion. We don't do this every week because then it becomes a ritual. This is not a ritual or, or a habit. This is something that we do. I have small children here today. Parents, it is up to you if they take or not. It is on you. Please be mindful. And be careful. Not to spill this. I want to take just a few moments before we do this. Where we're at. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to sit, you can sit. But I want us to bow our heads. I want us to have a moment to begin to repent. Begin to pray into God. Seek His face. The church body has been fasting shredding of our, faith, of our flesh, getting ourselves ready for this year and for this moment. We're going to take just a few moments as we get ready. Repent. I, I, I commend you that if there's someone in here in the building that you need to ask for forgiveness, be a man or a woman and go and do such. there's somebody that you have wronged, go make it right. Don't have these things in your heart. Not take care of this. There's something you need to talk to God about. Now's the time. Let's pray.